0: an ironic media production. Visit us at iromick
1: Welcome back to Be My Neighbor. Over the past few months, so much has changed in our world and for us personally, and we wanted to really take a hard look at what we were trying to achieve with our
0: podcast. We're so excited to kick off the conversation with our first guest back, Miles Johnson. We feel really passionate about taking action against racism and social injustice, as well as looking at our own personal responsibility to evoke real change. From breaking down
1: white privilege to speaking through recommendations for change, we know many of you expressed that you didn't know where to start. We took in a great deal from Miles, and we hope you do too. Here we go. Hey y'all, I'm Bevan. And I'm Brittany. Brittany. Welcome to Be My Neighbor.
0: Our neighborly duties are to provide real-life solutions and practices that elevate and inspire, but also remind us to not take it all too seriously.
1: We're real-life neighbors that quickly learn that you simply cannot do it on your own, living in a competitive and fast-paced environment like New York
0: City. Each week, we invite you into the apartment along with our metaphorical and literal neighbors to share advice on how we get through this thing called life. We don't just share the sugar. We serve up the real tea. From
1: navigating relationships to building a career, we want you to recognize and embrace the best version of you.
0: We want you to know that your crazy is okay. And that you're definitely not alone. Our door is always open, and we want you to know, we've, we've got, got your, your back. back. We are incredibly lucky to have Miles Johnson with us today. Miles, in his own words, is a seeker, a speaker, a fighter, a smiler, and a creator. A former performer, Miles has truly found his voice and passion for educating others on diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and is currently leading forums focused on educating white allies. Miles and I worked together at SoulCycle, where he basically created his own job focused on diversity and inclusion. He created the first POC, Person of Color, employee resource group. I was also really fortunate to join a talk several weeks ago called For Your Discomfort, created by a fellow SoulCycle instructor, Bryce Wood, where I heard Miles speak for the first time on a public forum. I know it's not a black person's job to educate me. It's my job. It's on both of us. I retain information the most through conversation, though, and I was incredibly blown away by your grace, compassion, and insightfulness, Miles. I immediately called Brittany after and said that we have to share his voice with you guys, our listeners. I walked away changed. Miles, thank you so much for coming and joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Did you like (laughs) your intro? I did.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, we loved writing it though. We are so excited to have you. And just based on our preliminary call, when we spoke a few days ago, I know we were like just blown away by everything you're doing right now and all the impact and change you're making. And, And I mean, it's a short period of time, but also what you've been doing for a really long period of time. And yeah, just, we're so happy.
2: Thank you. I mean, like, I, I think we talked about the other day. It's, it seems like it all just like shot out of the cannons recently, but I, as I got shot out of the cannons, I realized like I've been working for this moment for I'd say like almost 10 years, maybe like eight, since I stepped away from the Broadway community to look at like what am I doing with my life and how am I leading and speaking and, and how am I using my voice? Cause I didn't feel like I had one before. And so I spent the past couple of years finding that voice and now It's just like, oh, this is what we've been waiting for. I kind of, I meditate a lot. And I kind of had a moment the other day I was meditating and I heard this like voice. I was like, this is what we've been waiting for. Get ready. And I'm like, all right, let's go.
0: Yeah, let's
1: go. (laughs) Let's go is right. And I know Bevan filled me in on the discussion that you were a part of. And I know you're leading ones now yourself. So for those of us that don't know, can you tell our neighbors a little bit more about these and why you've chosen this path?
2: Yeah, for sure. So the talk that Bevan saw me on, I was uh, a guest um, for your discomfort um, because they reached out to me because as as Bevan mentioned, I helped start the first employee resource group at SoulCycle, which if you're listening to this and don't know what that is, an employee resource group is a business within a business, any minority group or um, group that is not really A minority group within, it could be mothers, it could be people of color, it could be LGBTQ, a group of people and employees that can come together in a safe space to talk about things that are affecting them because of their minority group within the business. And a smart business uses those groups to help fix their business. So I started the first employer resource group at SoulCycle and it was based on people of color, but I also wanted it to be inclusive because that's the whole idea of diversity and inclusion. And I was like, let's also include allies because I became very impassioned with the idea that you cannot fix things in life if you don't have allies. Something I spoke a lot about in that group was a lot of people of color would get really upset as they had the right to about educating and certain things when they didn't feel like it was their duty or right And I would always remind them, yes, it is very frustrating and angering to have to teach people. But think about it this way. If you're the minority and you want the majority to change their mind, you have to convince them because they're the majority. And yes, that sucks, but that's the deal of life. Like You have to convince the majority to change their mind in order to get them to align with you. So that's what brought me to this whole path of like education. And so in this whole movement, this sec, this round of movement, because this movement's been going on for hundreds of years, right. uh, this movement for equality in the black and brown community specifically, there's many movements going on, but this is the one we're talking about right now that I'm involved in heavily. I kind of looked at that idea and I was thinking I'm half white and I'm half black. I grew up in a home of mixed race. My mom is a white Romanian immigrant whose parents were in the Holocaust. And my dad is a black man who grew up in New York City in the sixties and seventies during the civil rights movement. And I'm gay. So I'm like, I'm literally born <laughs> to fight equality. It's like in my DNA. Yes. And so I, I understand both sides. I understand the angry rage filled side of, of people who've been oppressed, but I also understand the side of people that like don't understand and need to be taught. So I have a compassion for and a passion for educating white people to make them feel comfortable in an empowered space so that they can help because they're the majority. And as we just talked about, you need the majority to help shift the change. So I can't I I kind of was like meditating and I just felt like I want to help educate. And I just woke up one day and just made a video and just like put it on Insta story. And then all of a sudden, a couple of my friends who have lots of followers, like reposted it. And then all of a sudden I had like. 14,000 views. And I was just like, wait, what? What? Okay, awesome. And I was like, well, I guess I got to do this now. But I kind of was like, I want to start a space for white people to come and ask their questions that they feel that might sound stupid or might come off racist. But if we don't get past those basic moments, we're not going to get into the meat of the conversation and, and shift the movement. So I just like, was like, okay, I'm just going to rip the bandage off and do this. And I I did the uh, first one. And I think Evan went to the first one Mm -hmm. Um, and it was amazing. It's just, it's just like, and it it changes every time. And I don't record it because that's another thing about, I learned about ERGs and diversity and inclusion is like, people don't feel comfortable talking about this stuff. It's how we grow up. It's like not polite or it's like political to talk about certain things. And people feel like it attacks their personal character to admit certain things. So I was like, I, may, I want to make a point that people know that like this is not being recorded. This space is for whoever showed up to this space and whatever you say goes out into the air and disappears. This is purely for educational purposes, a safe space to figure out how we can move this needle. That's a long story long.
0: <laughs> well, while we're kind of on that topic really quickly, can you explain your approach in these forums, the approach that you personally take when educating? We spoke about this earlier and I just thought it was really powerful and I want to share it.
2: Yeah, for sure. So uh, a lot of times people jokingly say, but this is kind of true. There's like two ways that you can be uh, a protester or an advocate. You can either in the POC community, specifically when we're talking about black and brown people, you can either be like a Malcolm or a Martin. And that refers to Malcolm X or Martin Luther King Jr., the more like passive educational fighter. And I am not a violent person. And I'm not saying that everything has its reason or, or place. I personally... I'm not into violence and I, I could if I got drafted to war I'd have to go to Canada like I can't do I can't fight. I shot a gun one time because I wanted to know what it felt like and I went home and cried afterwards. So did I. Just, I. Yeah, it just didn't like the way it made me feel. I hated it. I it hated was like, it. Like this is too much power and it was a it was you know Daniel Postelnick. Yeah. He does gun education because he lives in California and he's very much into like educating people on how to use guns and when and why you should use them. And so I trusted him and I was like, he took me to a range and I shot three different levels. The first level felt like a toy. The second level, I was like, okay. And then the third level was like a hardcore real gun. And I felt this feeling of just like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I cry. So my approach, long story long again, is (laughs) (laughs) education. So I'm more of a a Martin with the dashes of Malcolm because I get really angry and I get filled with rage. But I know that education is the way to fix things because if someone is in a negative space or feeling attacked, they're not going to learn. They put a wall up. And the only way that you can teach someone is when their wall is down. Think about children like you don't yell at children to learn. That's not, they're not going to absorb. We as humans, we don't absorb with yelling. We get used to it as we get older because we're supposed to buck up and be an adult, but we all are still just like grown children, especially when you don't know something. We have that like childlike wonder to learn, but you kill the wonder when you attack it. And there are people that you just can't teach who are not open and available to that. Of course. But if people want to learn, I want to provide education to help move this along. Even if it's one person at a time. And when I put the idea out to do a forum, I was like, I don't care if 10 people come. And now it's like over a hundred. And then I'm like, there's a need for this. And that also shows that that is an approach that is not taken very often. A lot of people are very angry right now, which they again, have every right to be, and they don't have the strength or desire to teach. And I know that that's my passion is to make sure that people feel safe So they can learn so that we can move from that angle as well. We do need the protesters who want to rage and be violent. That's, that's what's needed right now because it's moving the needle. It's unfortunate and it's dangerous, but things are changing, but that doesn't mean it's the only way. Everybody's way of protesting is different. And my way to protest is through education.
0: I love that you say that. That struck me so much when I heard you say this for your discomfort when you said it's not, you know, everybody has certain gifts in life and things that they're good at and, you know, what we're drawn to. And we can all find our own version, our own way to protest that may not be walking in the streets, but may still make some noise along the way.
2: Yeah. And that's something that comes up a lot as people like I get reached out to a lot by a lot of my friends, um, black, brown and white, but mostly white right now. They're like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, I just want people to know. I'm like, well, you don't have to go to social media and post a thousand things. You don't have to go to a protest. What you have to do is live your protest and be actively protesting as a human what you believe, and then you will affect the people around you, like be the change you want to see. You be the change. We are all in charge of changing ourselves, and that changes the people around us. And you never know who you're changing and who they're going to change. So like my approach is like changing the world one person at a time, because that's all that I can do right now. And then that one turns out sometimes to be a hundred or a thousand. You just never know who's going to hear you. Like you heard me and now you invited me to be on your podcast. Someone who's listening to your podcast is going to hear this and hear the safety in in education and learning. And then they're going to share it. And it's like, it's a wildfire. You start a spark and then you just let the fire go. And I feel
1: like also it's so important that you mentioned these were not taped discussions, but just because of the words that were spoken about during these discussions, so many more people wanted to join again and told their friends and told us. And now we're exactly. here and it's, the word is
2: spreading. And it's amazing. Like I had, I, I did like, I made someone who's who's from the Atlanta area and I grew up in, in church. My grandfather was a Baptist preacher, like, I mean, I'm gay. So there's a lot of different things about church that I'm like, "Mm." but I still believe in a higher power and the connection that we all are humans are connected. And there is a higher being that is in charge. And I say, God, now religion is also based on business and all that other stuff. And I don't take, I don't ascribe to that, but my friend reached out and she was like, I kind of wanted to share some good news that happened after the, the forum, she was having issues at her church where her deacon was going online and saying racist things. Her deacon of her church. And she felt intimidated to reach out to him because he was a deacon. So I encouraged her in the talk when she brought it up. I was like, why don't you reach out to your pastor? Your pastor is the leader of your church. This also goes with businesses. Reach out to your business leadership teams if you feel like your managers or directors aren't doing something right because it's your leader's job, even though the leaders in our country are not living by that. It's the leader's job to take responsibility for whatever organization you are in. And America is a business, make no mistake about it. It's an organization and our leadership teams are failing us. But in her sense, I was like, go to your pastor and tell him this and share this. It's his job as a pastor. So her pastor encouraged her to reach out to the deacon. And she was like, I don't know if that's going to go well. And he was like, I want you to try it. And she did. And it didn't go well. He was horrible, said some really horrible things to her. So she went back to the pastor and told him and the pastor fired the deacon yes and because she did that she stopped this man who's supposed to be a a, a leader in a church in a church in a church leading lots of other people she was able to cut that off at the head by just speaking up Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, this is a praise report. Praise <laughs> report.
1: <laughs> it's making a difference. It's making yeah. a difference. Here. It's incredible. It's it's huge. I was incredible. like, can
2: you please share that story? So I made her come on the next one and share that story to show, like, what you were saying, Bevan is like, everyone's protest looks different and everyone is special. Everyone has their own gift. And a lot of people are like, well, I just don't know what I bring to the table. Everyone, I believe everyone has something. And you just have to figure out what your something is. I know my something is my voice. I was a singer. I used it for singing. When that didn't work out anymore, I was like, I have a voice. I don't know why I'm not singing right now, but now I'm singing in a different way.
0: Yes. Yes, you are. You are doing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not warm. I'm not i the
0: rooftop. Still sounded really good. But on that note, then, can you tell us a little bit about how you went from being a performer to where you are now?
2: Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Give it to me. So I was, <laughs> I went to school for performing. I went to Ithaca college. I graduated with a music performance degree. I moved to New York city. I then toured with rent for a year, toured with Miss Saigon, worked for Disney, did a bunch of shows. And as I kept getting higher in my career, I noticed that the box kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller because that's just the nature of the beast anyway in the business. Cause it's like, once you go higher, you can't go do that role anymore. You can't go work at like, Hershey Park and kick your legs <laughs> for the Christmas show, which I did do when I was 21 years old and it was amazing. But when you're 31 years old, you're not really... Because of the business, your agents are like, you, and you know this, Bevan, it's once all you play a certain well. role, you can't be like, I just want to go be in the ensemble now. They're like, no, you were just the lead. You can't go be in the ensemble. That's not good for your career, quote unquote. And I'm like, I got into this business to have fun and, and to perform. And so as you get higher in the career, you're like, you can't do that. Plus I'm mixed race. So my roles... The Broadway industry is very in, is saturated with institutional racism. And I we can go into that a whole nother. That's a whole nother podcast um, yes. that I'm actually talking to someone about on another podcast. Funny. Hmm. I'm doing the whole circuit. You got yes. it first. Uh. Oh. You got it first. What
1: but are yeah. they releasing? No.
2: <laughs> as a not for a long time. But as I kept getting higher, I, my agents were like submitting me for less and less things because I wasn't right quote unquote, the right type for many things anymore. Cause I wasn't black and I wasn't white, but my voice sounds more towards the quote unquote black side. So it would always be cast for like urban R&B things. And I had rent on my resume. So people are like, you're a rocker. I'm like, actually, I have a degree in opera. I had to like convince <laughs> this show one time that I was a legit singer, legit musical singer. And they, they let me audition. And then I booked it. I like told my agent, I was like, this is what I do. But because I don't look like an opera singer, an opera singer, like a and I'm wearing like a button down with my buttons open and my hat sideways. They're like, you can't do that. So I already was getting annoyed with the whole image of being a performer and an actor. But I finally, long story short, I'll get to the end of it, got cast in a Broadway show after years of fighting for that. I did everything else but a Broadway show. And I got cast in it after like taking a step away for a year. And they like, I got it. And I was like, this is the universe. I got to come back to the business and do a Broadway show. So obviously I said yes. And I was very excited about it. And it just seemed like everything was going to go right. And I had this weird feeling about it, though, like deep in my gut, which is why I'm like, you got to follow your gut. Your gut always knows. But I was like, why can't I celebrate? Something is something is there anyway. So I was getting ready and packing. I was away working actually at Soul Cycle in the Hamptons that summer. And they were like, you go leave, you go do Broadway. And then you come back when you're done, whenever you feel like it. Julie and Elizabeth were like, yeah, Amy pack. They were like, yes, go. Yes. and Come back. So I remember I was in my room, packing my bags in the Hamptons, like living. We just went to the pool, drank Rosé. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to start Broadway next week. And I got a call from my agent. I looked at my phone and like something dark went inside of me. I was like, something's mm. happening. And it was my agent I picked up and he was like, so they want to switch your role in the show. At that time, I was in the ensemble. and That's all I wanted. I didn't want to cover because as a mixed race person, I was always covering roles because they're like, you're not. Quite this, but you're good enough to do it. So you could be the understudy. And I'd be like, hey, so I made <laughs> it a goal. I'm supposed to say to, thank I, you, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, right? You're supposed
2: to say thank <laughs> you, right? so much. Hashtag so grateful. <laughs> um, which I was grateful, but also like that's bullshit. Oh my God. Can I curse on this? Absolutely. Way, we, yes. That's great.
1: thought Fantastic. all the time.
2: <laughs> so I got a call. My agent was like, they want to switch your role to be a swing. And I was like, what? And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't, want to, they were, I don't want to cover seven roles. I have the one role. I'm good. And they're like, unfortunately, they said that's all they're offering right now. And I'm like, I'm in the union and I signed a contract that I already have. Long story short, went through it back and forth with the casting agency and the producers and the directors. Director thought that, that somebody else was, quote unquote, a better type for the role. And in my mind, I'm like, I bet it's somebody white. Was and it? And It was somebody white. It was a big, burly white man who I saw in the first day of rehearsal. So I I called the union and they were like, unfortunately, until the producer signs a contract, they can change your contract as many times as they want to. I was like, that's interesting about the union. Another talk, another time. But I I battled with it because I was like, I can't say no to Broadway. Like, I haven't been on it yet. So I was like, against my better judgment, I said yes. And I went to the first day rehearsal and I sat there and I I saw that the person that they replaced me with, who was the swing, was a big, white, burly man. And there was only two other people of color in the show, one woman and one man. And then I was the swing. I'm not going to call out the show right now because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but maybe for a future podcast. Yeah. Happens a lot. And so I sat there for the whole day, just feeling just disgusting. And just, I feel like I lost all the power that I had gained from the year that I stepped away from the business in one call that haunted me. And so I remember looking down at my watch and it was 4.44 p.m., and I was like, I'm going to stop learning because I'm not doing this show. I'm quitting. And at the end of the first day, they always ask you to hand in your contracts because you have to like look over them and sign them. They ended at six o'clock and I walked straight out the door and didn't hand my contract in. And I went and I like paced and tried to call five different people. And I was like, what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. And nobody picked up. And I, and I was like, I heard a voice that was like, you need to make this decision for yourself. Ooh. <laughs> and so my decision was I wasn't going to do the show. So I called my agent and I was like, I'm resigning. I'm not doing this because... I signed up for something and this is not what it is. And I, and I got to what I thought was my dream. I fought my entire life to get to the door of my dream. I opened the door and I looked in and realized that wasn't my dream. And the hard part about that, which I want to share with everybody always. And that's part of my mission is just because you think something is your dream. If you look at it and know it's not, the hard part is walking away, but oh, the things that happen when you walk away, because the things that have happened since I walked away from that day. My life is a completely different life. I have a powerful voice. I might even go back to the industry on the other side and start advocating for what I walked away for. Yeah. It's just like, you got to listen to your heart, no matter how hard it is and follow your gut. And after that, I decided I wasn't going to be anywhere where I couldn't be myself, share my feelings. And the Cycle provided that for the time that I was there until it didn't anymore, where I felt empowered and I got yeses all the time to just go and create and do things. And that's why what you said, Bevan, like I created my role at SoulCycle four different times. By the time I left there, I was um, the senior manager of internal communications and culture, which wasn't a job. And I was traveling to all new studios and like setting up the cultural systems and operationally helping out and just like making things up. And now I'm in another job right now that I made up. So like I left that industry to realize like, you could just do whatever you want, just do it.
0: It's the most freeing feeling in the entire world, isn't it?
2: It's incredible. And even in consulting, like I was terrified to start consulting and I just took a consulting job 2 months ago and it's the best. It just keeps getting better.
1: Saying no and turning people down, saying no is a really hard thing to do. It's really, really re- I mean we struggle with it all the time, right B? It's yeah. like you want to do everything you can, but then sometimes making that choice opens up your whole world.
2: Sometimes you have to say no to get your yes.
0: That's it. Because, yeah. I mean, there's an element, I think, in the entertainment business, and I'm sure in a lot of other businesses, too, where it feels like it's a little bit of brainwashing, right? We should always be so grateful for any job, for anything. And I had a very, very similar experience. I got to a point and I was like, no, I don't want to play the girl in a bikini anymore. Like, I've got something to say, bitch. Listen, yeah. like, I have got things to say. And like, I love that you have found a place and something right now that is so desperately needed by the world, and you have this opportunity to just like use your voice and make change, and it's going to be big. And you are just beginning, my friend.
2: Thank you, and and thank you for seeing that. And the part about it that makes me feel like this is just the beginning, and I'm and I'm ready. Like it's like ready, set, go. There are days where I'm like I can't, and I'm all I'm very aware of my mental health. Like I took years of therapy after I left the business, which have prepared me for where I am now to know like I'm. You raising your hand because you same. Probably the same. I just turned 40 in February, literally the day before the pandemic hit, I had a birthday party and it was like, okay, everybody sit, go back into your house for forever. I was like, bye friends. <laughs> the last party before. My 40th birthday party was the last time I saw my friends in person. Oh. Um, but the power of saying no gives you the power to be fearless. Like I, as a performer was always scared of like, Does the director like me? Does the casting agent like me? Now I'm going to sit and wait for my call. Did I get a callback? Did they like me in the callback? It's just like, now I'm like, you don't like me? Bye. I'll find someone else who does. Mm -hmm. But that takes takes time to get there, but I'm there now. So I want to help people get there.
0: I love that so much. As we're
1: talking about educating ourselves and and all of the work that you're doing, and maybe in my mistake too, I thought that many people at this point knew what white allyship meant. And the definition behind it. Can you break it down for us and to our neighbors in your own terms? Because I think, again, it's going to help a lot of people understand better as I'm still learning. And I know as Bevan is still learning, we're all just trying to be better
0: about it.
2: Right. So, I mean, I think there's a couple of important things to remember as an ally. And some of them are, like I said earlier, like you are in the majority. And without allyship from the majority, like nothing's going to change for the minority. That's the key factor in the battle for equality is knowing you're in the majority and knowing what that means, knowing what white privilege is, knowing what privilege is understanding fragility, white fragility and getting educated, like knowing what POC life means and knowing terminologies and things that you should and shouldn't say, but you don't know that unless you ask and knowing that you're going to make mistakes and that all you have to do is worry about the intention behind it. And if people are offended, it's up to them to tell you that you're, they're offended, but it's also up to you to apologize if you've offended and also ask how you can be better. And, and also know that like some people don't want to help you right now.
1: Right. Yeah. Because they right. don't
2: have that to give and and picking pick, like someone brought that up in one of the forums recently. Like, I really want to tell my friend, but it feels like they don't want me to, and then they don't want to talk. And I said, then find a friend who does because that's their right. This is their life every single day. It's
0: interesting. I'm going to say this and we might have to cut this out because I don't know how it's going to come out. If this was, you know, not recorded, it'd be (laughs) totally okay. But you know, that is interesting to me. It's like people, I think especially white people just assumed that because you have a black friend that they would want to provide this information and have this conversation with you and felt like maybe it was their duty in a sense. And so many white people just do not understand that a person of color, a black person has been doing this work for years and had to do their own version of this work to understand and protect themselves throughout the world. It is just solely our duty now to seek it out, to figure it out.
2: Yeah. And I don't think you need to cut that out. That's totally valid. What you just said, there's this thing in the black and Brown community where parents have to give their children the talk. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard about the talk, but it's a, it's a specific conversation that black and Brown parents need to have with with their kids about how they need to act outside of their house in order to be safe. So just think if white parents had a talk version with their kids about like what life is going to be like outside of this house and everybody just takes responsibility for their families and their communities and their groups and seeks out the people who want to help with that. Then we'll all be on a better path because this isn't a moment. This is what Bryce said the other day. Like this isn't a moment. It's a movement. I mean, other people have said it as well but it's not like something you can check a box on. A lot of companies and leadership teams are like, we need a diversity and inclusion team right now. Like right now I've gotten reached out to by so many companies that are like, hey, are you interested in diversity and inclusion? I'm like, I am not right now because diversity and inclusion, yes, the first step is getting a representative, but it needs to permeate and saturate every section of your life, every section of your business. It needs to be thought about in operations, in HR, in marketing, in PR. It's not specific check up a box. We did an unconscious bias training. It's like, great. And then what? Yeah. What else?
0: Yeah. Right.
2: It's a system that has been set in place for over 400 years. It, it's going to take careful and meticulous detangling.
0: It's going to take a lot of time.
2: Going to take a lot of time. And that's another thing that I like to remind allies is that like you wouldn't go into kindergarten and expect to graduate with a high school diploma next week. Yeah. You got to go through the school. You got to go through the work. And if you're tired, You got to take breaks. You can't fight all day and you can't learn all day. We all, that's why our body sleeps at night. You can't do something all day long. So if you need to take a pause, take a pause. Just don't forget to get back up and get back in.
1: Mm -hmm. Something happened to me today where, you know, my eyes were opened and I really, it made me think twice and had posted about some things and talked about some of the models that I work with in a lot of my different segments Black women, Indian women, white women. Women that I've just now for years and years, we've developed these incredible relationships. And I often resort to using the same women and working with the same women because we love each other. We have so much fun together and we get really up close and personal in these fittings. It's just, it's good times. But, you know, in saying that, there was, (laughs) shut up, Bevan. There was some feedback. She's, 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 yes, (laughs) she's privy to a lot of these fittings because everyone comes to our apartment and she hears the screaming outside the door. Oh my God, it's so good to see you. All of that. But regardless, you know, there were some comments on those pictures that I wasn't using my voice correctly and I wasn't speaking out enough. And these may have been new people that came by. And I wrote back and I I addressed certain things. And I'm, and you know, made some mistakes. And I think that's just something to also to touch upon too, because I think a lot of white people are very scared to say the wrong things and they don't realize. And I'm very honest. What you see is what you get. I will speak freely. And I'm the first one to admit, and Bevan is as well, that we make mistakes. We're not, no one is perfect here at all. And speaking towards that, what are your thoughts to those that are afraid to make those mistakes and maybe not say anything or just not acknowledge that? Like what what would you, what advice would you give?
2: So first there's another part of that I also want to address too is like, I don't speak for all black people and all people of color. And so white people need to understand, and this will take some of that fear off their plate. You don't speak for all white people. If you're not racist, then you're not racist. You don't have to tell me that you're not racist if, I, if you're my friend, like, but look what I did. That's also a version of white guilt. When you take something and say, well, I was nice to this black person, Great. I don't tell you the white people I'm nice to. You are now taking the situation that's not about you right now. It's about something else. It's about black people and you're taking it and putting it back on you to be excused. So that black person can make you feel better about yourself. I just want people to understand like that's a version of white guilt saying something like that. But in terms of the fear, I always say, and what you just said is admitting when you made a mistake and not being afraid. Like, I feel like I'm a fool. I feel like I don't know you very well yet but I feel like we'll get to know each other. And I know that Bevan is a fool just because I know her more. Yes. It's like, you have to be, and, and I mean that in a loving way. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't yeah. care. Like, yeah, I yeah, mean, it was sick. Ooh, right, it was sick. we have fun. About we're it. It. Yeah, we're all human. And I think everybody's so caught up in this like box of what we're supposed to look like and what we're supposed to say. And like, I've never been that way. Ever since I was a child, I've just, I hate being put in a box. That's why I hated being an actor. I hate being put in a box. I want to be me and everybody gets to be them. And in being you, you make mistakes. But the main takeaway is when you make a mistake or it's brought to your attention is to say, oh my God, I made a mistake. How can I fix that? And if someone attacks you for that, that goes back to intention. Your intention was not that. You asked for help. You're saying you made a mistake and that person can or cannot forgive you, but then that's on them. You can only do the best that you can do where you are when you're there. And if you didn't post something because you didn't feel it authentically in your heart that you wanted to post something, then don't post something. Like I said, everyone's protesting looks different and nobody can tell you what your protesting looks like. Now that gets a little skewed, I think, in terms of leaders, because I do believe businesses are specific kinds of leaders that owe it to their communities to speak up. Yes. And people like, People who are brands, and I guess this is where the blurred line is of like brands, but if you're Beyonce or Jay-Z, you should be speaking up because you have millions of people's lives. And I don't like to say you should. It would be nice if you spoke up. If you're a business, you have to speak up because you owe it to your customers and your clients and your communities to speak for them and out for them. Kind Bar, they posted something the other day. They are doing it right.
0: Ben and Jerry's.
2: Ben and Jerry's. Doing it right.
0: A shit. I love them so much. Me too. Ben
2: and Jerry <laughs> up in Vermont don't give a shit. They are like, this is fucked <laughs> up.
0: It was so refreshing.
2: It's amazing. And, and you see what you see, how you feel as a consumer, hearing somebody speak the truth. You're like, I will now eat Cherry Garcia until... It pops out of my face. Yes. It already was, but I let it go. <laughs> but now that I know that they said that, I'm going back to the aisles and I'm buying Cherry Garcia again. Me too. It's like you're not doing it for that. And it's all about your intention. And we are humans and we can feel intention. I tell leaders of companies so much. It's like, don't put out another letter about how you align with the black community. You hold a forum for your company and for your customers or whoever wants to join it, make it open and sit on the panel in an, un, in an uncomfortable place and answer questions so that people see you feeling. That is when they'll trust you.
0: Yes. That brings up another point for me about social media. So I'm not like a heavy poster, but I felt it was really important even with the small amount of followers I have just to at least repost a couple things that spoke to me because I didn't know at the time when I posted exactly what I wanted to say and how I could say it. But one of my favorite authors, Glennon Doyle Melton, had, I'm think she's just Glenn and Doyle now. had posted something that really just like spoke to me and it turned my gut and it felt right. And so, you know, I reposted. and and I kind of have stayed off of it pretty much since then, not that I'm afraid to say something. i'm I will totally speak up. And, you know, this is my platform more than anything, right? Of but, course. and I also want to make sure because I see so many people just aggressively posting and reposting right now. I don't want to put something out unless I have an actionable, tangible thing behind. Yeah. Something's behind it that I'm like, here's exactly what I'm doing and this is how I've changed. I don't even need to say this is what I'm doing. This is what I've done and this is how I've changed. I kind of feel like I have to get on the other side of this work that I'm doing first before I can really put it out to educate And that's always been my way of protesting education as well.
2: Exactly. To go along with that, I actually had this conversation with someone the other day because they were talking about social media. And I was like, what we have to remember is that we created social media. It's not real. It can be used as an incredible tool, or it could also be used as a disgusting tool. Right now, it's focused on fighting the fight, which is great. But about two months ago, it was focused on like selfies and vapid banal things that like were disgustingly, disgustingly. I just made that word up. No, that's not, that's, not, <laughs> no. that's a word. It is, yeah. That's ruining society and and the human consciousness. I just, I hate social media, but it can be used as a tool. But what we need to remember is it's a tool that we created. I was born in a time where there wasn't social media and we still did things. So it's like people, as you just said, that feeling in your gut, your intuition was like, this is something you want to share. Share when you want to share Don't share when you don't want to share. And that might be controversial to some people in this movement. Cause everyone's like, get out there and speak your voice. It's like, but who are you to tell people how they're using their voices? I empower you to do you boo. Like we just said earlier, Full <laughs> circle. <laughs> like do you, if you want to get up on social media and like post every 12 seconds, great. That is great for the fight as well. But you're over here making a podcast and educating people. I'm out here doing forums. Everyone's doing their thing. And if you want to see a list of what I'm doing, feel free to ask me. But I also get to tell you if I, I get to share that if I want to, if you want, it's not right. up to you, right. To tell I, me how my protest looks.
1: I've never been a political person. I, I really try to stay away from that and dinner table conversations. I just don't.
0: But you I care, get, don't? That makes it sound like you don't care. Like you are a political person in the sense that you, thank you, you vote for what you want oh, and for what you think 100%. is right, and like yes, and fight for things, yes. yes.
1: But at a dinner table or or with people that I've maybe never met before, I'm not going up to someone, I'm sitting down and and saying, this is who I am and this is who I vote for. You know, it makes me uncomfortable. And maybe that's also something that I need to look at too and maybe stand up more for. But for me, in this particular instance, I've probably been more vocal than I ever have been just because of personal feeling and wanting to post more, I guess you could say. and because you care. uh, Yeah, uh, yeah. But again, (laughs) not to come from where... Yeah, not come from... We both know who we are. We both know that we are white women who have this podcast. We understand that. We are never going to stray from that. And I think that's one of the first things that we told you when we asked you if you wanted to come on is that we know exactly who we are and we never want to not say that. But yeah, we do really care.
2: And that wraps up with intention. You know what the intention of your two's journey and your mission is, and you're doing that. And in terms of politics, I would say no one walks into a room and sits down and they're like, I am me and this is everything I stand for. And I I get what you mean by that. But like, I would just challenge you that if the conversation came up, especially now that you wouldn't shy away from your thoughts or debunking thoughts that are absolutely horrid. For instance, I had a family zoom recently where we were talking about, I was really angry and we were talking about Trump and I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to just say this. And as we head into this election, if you vote for Donald Trump after watching these last four years of what he has done to humanity and to this country, if you can set aside all of the Donald Trump things that happened under his reign and, and, and all the things in the past four years, including, like, racism, xenophobia, like, homophobia, all the horrible things, children in cages, like, all that stuff, and say, like, I'm still going to vote for him because, like, he's good for the economy or my, my wallet, you are selfish, you are selfish. I'm saying that. This is a statement. And there's something about you that makes you not a good person. And I need you to reflect on that.
0: I wholly agree with that. And I know these aren't my words, but it resonated with me when somebody said it. It's not political anymore, it's moral. It's moral. Well, and it's
2: not even about politics. Put politics to the side and look at his character. Yep. You can tell me that you are voting for this man's character, then you are not a good person. And I'm sorry. And that might be controversial for someone to hear or for me to say. And I don't mean you're a bad human being, but there's something about you that's not right. And you need to look at that.
0: I just can't see myself having anything in common with someone who couldn't, someone who found it more important to support their personal business than to support the rights all of humans. all humans.
2: <laughs> I, don't get, I don't get it. And I don't care to get it anymore. Same. I will absolutely have conversations with people, but the first time he won, I could excuse it because people were me like too. sick of the system,
0: yeah. And it
2: was it was still devastating, but people were sick of the system and they wanted to see what was happening. Well, guess what? Four years have passed. You just saw what happened. If you can see that and see that that's not bad and it's fine, let's do it again. Then I'm gonna need you to just unsubscribe from me.
0: Same. Bye. Bye.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I feel about politics.
0: Same. <laughs>
1: But Bevan, you had such a great question, too, about the demographics.
0: Oh, yeah. Speaking of. <laughs> speaking of. Right. Straight white men. One of the things that you mentioned in the talk that I was lucky enough to listen to was talking about the demographic that is speaking up the least, and that is straight white men. What would you say? Or what would you encourage or what would you like to see from straight white men in the
2: world? So this is. Um... <laughs> hey, Mark. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Um, so straight white I I use it as one of my takeaways for allies is to get straight white men involved in the conversation. Because if you think about the majority, the majority of things in this world, data, facts is run by straight white men. And I actually had a straight white man come to my last talk and we chatted afterwards. And he he kind of like, we talked it out and it kind of made me realize like, I don't have as much patience. And I admit that this is something that I know that I'm going to work on. I don't have as much patience for straight white men as I have for straight white women or LGBT white men, because both of those groups of people have faced specific inequality adversities. And so I I automatically have more empathy towards them. Mm. For straight white men, they run the world and they've been at the top of the food chain forever. They have taken over everything in the world, if you look at history, and it's them, which is why they need to be the ones who are more most vocal because they run everything. Look at our leadership teams, look at our government, look at everything that is at the top. It is oversaturated with straight white men. And I think a lot of straight white men are feeling very sensitive right now because all the movements are coming for them at the same time. The me too movement, the LGBTQ movement, the black lives matter movement, but unfortunately that's what it is. So I invite straight white men to look at their white fragility And I invited my friend. I said, I hear you. And I I hear that that rubbed you the wrong way when you heard that. But I invite you to look at why that rubbed you the wrong way. And thank you for being my friend and pointing that out to me because I now see that my soft spot that I need to work on hardening is more acceptance towards straight white men. Like I'm not perfect. I'm still working on it. And I have life things that have happened to me that affect the way that I relate to straight white men.
0: You know, it's It's so interesting. I think that this period in time is like a tectonic shift that's requiring us to be so incredibly vulnerable and compassionate with one another. And it's so hard. Exactly. It's, it's,
2: exactly. it's so hard. Everyone, everyone needs to assume the best in everyone at the same time as us hoping people do the same for us. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of those shitheads out there that are not going to be in that pool. So that's where you have to like siphon out, where is my time being dedicated? Mm -hmm. I got to figure out, are you worth that right now, that time? And there's nothing against you, but you're not worth that time. I need to focus on strengthening the pool of people that are worth that time so that eventually we'll be strong enough to then take on that next level.
0: Yeah. It's like, I think that especially now we have to really start to expect imperfection, be gracious about imperfection. And then we also have to be incredibly honest and vulnerable about all the thoughts, all the systems, all the stuff that's embedded in us over the years. And that's the only way that this change can happen, right? Is if we start to flow in this really gentle way together.
2: Which is what I believe humanity is based on. I'm a very Mm. spiritual person. I meditate. I read a lot of books based on that. And I do believe there is a collective that's why there's a shift happening right now because more people are getting aligned and you feel this buzzing energy. I, I think I said this in one of my Insta stories. The first week felt very aggressive and like, Arr, like, Arr, yes. like oh God. And then the second week felt very like, guh, guh. like there was a rooting in like, okay, it's time to do the work. Mm-hmm. And that was last week. And now mm-hmm. this week it's starting to be like, there's more forward movement because mm-hmm. people are getting on the train now and it just feels different. And even people from other generations of this fight are like, this feels different because we've never had social media and optics into all the horrible things. Like, it's in your face. George Floyd being murdered for eight minutes and 46 seconds is in your face. To see and watch. To see and watch and hear. And no matter what color you are, we're all the same color behind our skin, and we are all watching that. So you are absorbing this experience as a human. And we're collectively absorbing and watching and listening. And that is shifting it faster, which finally. So those are the good things about social media is that it forces people to be held accountable for their actions. This man yesterday in in Philadelphia oh, I don't know if you the article, the judge, who, right? Yeah, or not a judge. The courts of Philadelphia yeah. for, in charge of like family things, ripping down Black Lives Matter signs and saying they don't matter to him. It's like this man in Philadelphia, which is a very predominantly black and brown city, but he got fired swiftly, fired in a day. So it's like, good, keep capturing this stuff.
1: Yeah. When have you ever seen changes like this be made so quickly?
2: Never. And Never. that's why it's great. It's a lot, it's fast and it's it's exhausting. Like I got taken down the other day. Like I've been running, running, running. Cause I, I rested for weeks during this pandemic and then all of a sudden I got a job and then this happened. So it's like my spirit was ready to go and I take breaks, but I don't need very many breaks. I, it's weird. The older I get, I'm like, Oh, I only need six hours of sleep. Okay, great. Let's go. Which is weird.
0: I think it's because you're know. aligned with what your truth is and what you, that's what happening. you
2: should be giving. Exactly. I am not tired, but something derailed me the other day when I saw pictures of the noose hanging from a tree in Harlem, it hit me really hard. I immediately felt at the same time, severe rage, severe sadness and severe fear because I'm a person of color. And I'm like, am I safe to leave my house? And that's why that person, whoever did that, did that. They took a noose, which is a sign, a specific sign to the black community, a historical significant sign that you don't have any power here and we can take you down whenever we want to. And they put it in Harlem, which is the black capital of, of America. To see that, I felt devastated. So I took a day. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, that's all you need. Get back up. Let's go. Yeah. So get knocked down. But it up again. <laughs> Ain't ever going to get me down. <laughs> Tub-thumping anyone? <laughs> yes. yes. I play it all, all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a class favorite. That- <laughs> yes. I love that you are allowing people to see that they don't immediately need to be on the defense they could hear it and take it in and listen. And I think it's, it's incredible the work that you're doing. I am so excited to continue to follow your journey. We're like, we just can't wait to watch all the incredible things that you're going to be doing. I feel like you're going to have a talk show. We feel like you're going to be doing all these things and we, we know it. It's like, it just is a feeling that you give off and you emanate. Thank you. Well, don't
2: worry. As I told you guys, when we were talking last time, I take all the treasures with me. I told, I think I told you guys this and a lot of my friends laugh because I call them treasures. I've been going through my life, picking up treasures so that when it's time to rise, I'm going to call upon all my treasures so we can all rise together because stronger together. That was Barack Obama's campaign. Yeah. Yes, we can stronger together. Like we are all stronger together. And I thank you for saying that. Cause I feel that too. Like I want to have a talk show. I want to sit down with people. I just want to provide a safe space for conversation and creativity and storytelling.
0: It means that's how things change. It's so powerful. Thank you. And I know you're probably going to be mad at me for doing this, but I'm doing it anyways. You don't get <laughs> a say in this. So we feel really passionate about supporting educators. And so we are 100% going to make a little donation to you so you can continue to do this work. And we're going to call on every single person that's listening as well. If you guys have anything to spare, please, 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 I'm going to need you to Venmo at Miles, that's a capital M-I-L-E-S dash Johnson dash four. Miles dash Johnson dash four. My mouth is not working. Um, It's really, really, really powerful, powerful work you're doing. And I believe this is what we need to be investing in. And so thank you so much for your time and your energy, and all you're doing.
2: Thank you so much. And you don't have to do that, but I appreciate it. And also, I accept it, because that's something I'm also learning in life, is when someone wants to give you something, you say thank you, and you take it. Because the universe is abundant, and the more I get, the more I give, because that's what we're here for. I believe it, truly. So. Thank you for doing that. Those people out there, if you feel that in your heart, if you feel in your heart, let's do that. <laughs> if you I'm feel Southern yeah. right now, so I'm feeling Southern.
1: You get
0: more <laughs> when you
2: receive. You get
1: more when you receive.
2: And honestly, I, I accept it and I thank you for it. And yeah, so thank you.
0: Wait, Miles, one more thing. We forgot to ask, where can everybody find you and join you in these forums and so forth?
2: So if you follow me on my on my Instagram, it's at live where you live. So it's L I V E. W-H-E-R-E-U, the letter U, live, L-I-V-E, live where you live.
0: We'll be posting your Instagram and everything as well. Okay, right. So everybody can yeah, find I, it. Through I, I do
2: everything through there um, because I'm starting to do these forums, but I'm using like Eventbrite and... I mean, I'm also on LinkedIn, Miles Johnson. I have a red hat on and I'm smiling with a purple background. So if you're a business person, please feel free to reach out. <laughs> I'm all about community building and building networks because that's literally how I got to where I am right now is just by meeting people and keeping in touch with them and like relationships, one-on-one relationships. That's how you start everything.
0: Oh, you're a dreamboat. Oh, thank, you, amazing. So, thank you so much
2: for having me.
0: Yes. You are always welcome here. Anytime you want to come on and talk, you let us know. And bring any of your neighbors on too.
1: We want to just continue to encourage everyone to take away little nuggets and pieces of information from each episode. And you've given so many today. We can't thank you enough.
2: You just said nuggets and I thought of like chicken nuggets. I'm like, I'm like, I, nuggets. You
1: know, I did too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like,
1: I don't know where nuggets came from, but I'm like, I want
2: nuggets so bad. <laughs> You're
0: like, now I got to have <laughs> them. They're
1: outside your door. <laughs>
0: That's,
2: uh, I, told you, I, I told you I'm a fool. I, don't, I just, you just gotta laugh, right? <laughs> That's the only way Thank to go you, about man. it. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: We will talk so soon. Thank you.